What is going on? Bar Down Breakdown, episode 203. Gosh, that's a mouthful these days. And tonight, we're joined by our homie Ken Susi, a founding member of Unearth, and currently just shredding with As I Lay Dying. That must be such a fun track to play. Do you guys still play that live? Yeah, My Own Grace is one of the staples in the... um you know, in the set and it's pretty sick. Uh, they, it's cool too. They're a pyro band. So like when we play like shape by fire or Myron Graves, like flames on stage and crap, it's totally dope. <laughs> Damn. That just met, must get everyone going. I'm just like, it's Wednesday night, eight o'clock. I'm tired as hell, but that just got me going. So you, you guys, but you guys gotta be like happy that I'm actually missing the Bruins game for this. Jeez. Oh, that's fine. Well, they're gonna take. Yeah. They're gonna take the. the <laughs> that's how confident yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll do a podcast. I don't give a shit. But let let me just say that Mikey, who is like the pop punk guy, doesn't get into metalcore, deathcore, hardcore very often. That's a huge compliment coming from him. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad is. Mikey's joining joining the uh, the darker side of music for a little bit. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited that you like that one, Mikey. And normally, normally you're not the guy that will say stuff like that. Got me going. I'm, I'm ready. Let's <laughs> so, do this. Let me tell you a backstory about that particular song real quick. I've been trying to convince the band since I'm the new guy. I'm like, when you go to Europe, right, and you play these, like, massive concerts, a lot of people like to, the disco, like the mm-hmm. European, they like to go, you know, dance afterwards. You always end up at some weird club. I'm like, why don't we just open up the front lobby of this huge venue that we're playing and do a My Own Rave? And change all the Azalea Dying songs to like rave music and just party with people after the show. They thought it was a cool idea. <laughs> yeah, like that that's that's just straight what 2009 to 2011 Rise Records, just electronic <laughs> disco in the middle of a breakdown, and then you just go into another breakdown. I'm all for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but Ken, we're super glad that you joined us. Um super glad that you're missing the the Bruins game, even though you're not really missing much from that. No. Uh, I'll probably bite my tongue tomorrow if the Panthers somehow score the upset, but I doubt that's <laughs> gonna happen tonight. No. Uh but next week, if that happens, all the three of my Panther fans can shit talk me in the inbox because there's only three of them. <laughs> well it's okay i'll probably just miss like by the time this is over bruins will be up like six to two so yeah exactly yeah yeah by the way i'm all psyched for this too i don't pull this out often but i'm wearing my captain my bruins captain's jersey i'm gonna let you guys are you guys familiar with bruins like hall of famers at all like what jersey am i do you think i'm wearing oh i literally just saw the back too it's, like five minutes ago it's not ray bork is it nope nope the toughest, I would say the toughest hands down Bruin of all time. Toughest guy to ever exist. Ooh. I'm not up on my Bruins history. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. 24. Oh, O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. It's a crowd favorite. He's my favorite, one of my favorite Bruins of all time. So let's let's kind of let's kind of just dive into Bruins talks as we're already talking about Bruins. So you're you know, you're from you're from the Mass Massachusetts, New England area. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the the podcast that you were up in, you grew up in Danvers and, you know, you played for a little bit too, but uh, I always like to just start off by asking like, how did you get into the bees? So um, my father was a musician. 
um, played in a surf rock band, but absolutely loved hockey. And um, it, ho- hockey really kind of took off in um, in Massachusetts uh, when we obviously got Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. Um, 72, 71, 70, like those years, um, it really kind of captivated my my father. And my brother's five years older than me. Um, he played. Uh, when I was born, my dad was watching the hockey game. He didn't go into the uh, – actually, he did go in the delivery room, but he was watching the game. So that was that was pretty cool. And he told me the Bruins won that night. So uh, so yeah, listen, I've I've lived on a healthy diet of Bruins my whole life. Street hockey with my brother, ice hockey uh, with all of his friends, always playing like with guys five years older than me at all times. Uh, and all of, like actually, ironically, all my brother's friends that are my sorry, my friends that were my brother's friends all had. Um, it was kind of like a weird brotherly thing where like they played. And my my brother's friends had little brothers that were my age, so we always grew up playing with each other. Nice. So it was like a really awesome kind of like a uh, uh, childhood. Um, you know, we have like you know hockey families in in my hometown, like the Baldessaris and the Soruses and the you know and the Milburys and stuff. And like these guys, you know, we all grew up all together uh, playing hockey con- constantly. Now I'm an Islander fan. We don't like to talk about Mike Milbury. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. I don't care. I don't care. He was, he was the best coach ever. He told your your owner, the guy who tried to swindle your franchise, to fuck off. Yeah, but he also then, like, traded Chara away for nothing and Luongo away, away for nothing. So that, yeah. that set our franchise back a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, used to play, I used to play soccer against uh, uh, Mike Milbury's kid, and he actually got in a fight on the sidelines. So he's a real deal <laughs> motherfucker for sure. He's awesome. The out of all the sports to get into a fight over, it's soccer. <laughs> that is that is the funniest thing to me because normally they're just trying to 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 do the play to get the pull a yellow or a red on somebody, but he was just going at it. He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I grew up in the Northeast, the uh, North Shore. Um, hockey was massive in my hometown, Danvers, Massachusetts. Um, I was kind of filling you guys in before, but I mean, we are the town of uh, the Crucible um session nine like where the lobotomy was invented at salem state hospital all the all the stuff that you've read about about the salem witch trials rebecca nurse uh giles Corey, all that stuff happened in my hometown and uh there's a dark history in danvers but like uh hockey was always thriving and still is today um as i as i said i I was lucky enough to play on really really good teams none of us played um club hockey uh we stuck together as 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 kids growing up and played for the town and our town team um, was either state champions or close to it every single year. Um, My brother, as I said, was five years older than me. His team, um, when he entered, all I ever wanted to be was a Danvers Falcon. Um, It was like a a huge honor uh, in the town to be a captain, uh, which I ended up eventually becoming. Uh, But yeah, uh, my hockey team, um, my town's hockey team from the years of, my brother playing to the time where I graduated, uh, we were 68. No. Um, so we, we did some damage in the league and, uh, it got a lot of, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, it, a lot of us got scholarships. A lot of us like, you know, got free schooling cause of it. So it was really, really great. It's funny that you said that you said the, the stuff from the crucible too, because I remember in high school, I made a giant, uh, tombstone like out of like paper mache for giles Corey, 
so I had to do like a whole eulogy for him and everything. So <laughs> it was just it's just like it's just funny how like the two worlds kind of like collide. I was just like, oh yeah, I remember having to like chisel that dude's name into this giant paper mache tombstone that I made, and it was miserable. Yeah. Um, but I think actually, um, uh, there's a Olympian Megan Dugans from Danvers too, I believe. Megan Duggan, and you Duggan, know what? Yeah. Her brother uh, took the Danvers Falcons as well to a state championship in one too. Brian, fantastic hockey player. Um, you always like look at the kids underneath you and, you know, underclassmen stuff. He wasn't, uh, I was graduated by the time he, he was the, he was the guy, but um, fantastic hockey player, world-class yeah. athlete, whole family is uh, excellent people. Excellent. See, I'm just like so jealous hearing you talk about just how relevant and important high school hockey is because yeah. I grew up in New York. I grew up on Long Island and you would think being in the Northeast, like everyone just has like really competitive hockey teams, but that's not the case. Like only a handful of teams on Long Island, like schools on Long Island had their own hockey team. And a lot of towns would combine and have like six or seven towns combined to be on like a hockey team. And yeah. like, I feel like that kind of takes away from like the, the town pride and, and being like, yeah, I'm a, deer park falcon and like well, it, it's yeah, just crazy to think that you know boston just kind of like across the long island sound has this huge high school hockey culture yeah uh, yeah youth league high school the whole thing i mean I'll, I'll say this like my team i believe was uh division one and it goes by school size mm -hmm. um but we were good enough to play uh well they they technically put us up divisions like to 1a we played against like um, Arlington Catholic and and other like really really top notch uh, teams and you know BC High and and all that stuff. So like even though we were like a D one like regular school, not one A, uh, we still played against the big boys. And um, I think you know uh, uh, where like music and hockey kind of like collide in my life is that um, you know the 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 games were not small especially when you're running on like a, you know, like a, like a, a historical run, like where yeah. you're like 68. No. So um, when we would play our rivals, I mean, there was um, Salem state is a big uh, school hockey school. Uh, it, it has a big arena for hockey. And I would think that like most of our games at least had 2000 people at it. Um, mm -hmm. Most of them. And then like the big games, it was like, to the ceiling these like you know rafters like you know people everywhere around the rink like you couldn't fit another person in these games and uh you know at the time it's like nerve-wracking because you're a kid and you're supposed to you know you have fun but there's a lot of, a lot of eyes on you at all times and uh the nerves kind of go away after a while and i and in my case like I'm, I'm one of those athletes where like as the game gets more intense or it gets faster things slow down yeah. um in my brain a little bit so um moving into music years later when I started playing in front of thousands of people, it actually brought back those memories. I never really get nervous. Um, actually I was always like a antagonist. So, uh, you know, I liked it when people booed me, you know, and shit like that. So, um, so like even today to this day, like when I play music, like if someone has a problem with me, I'm, you know, I don't give a fucking shit. Like I'm going to do my thing, you know? Um, so, so yeah, music and hockey for me was like, very very similar and and you know what's really crazy too is that like when you're a kid and you grow up and like you you know if you're an outcast and you're not into sports usually like punk rock kids and shit used to think that like athletes were dickheads mm -hmm. and like 
jocks were actually pretty open-minded to guys who like listened to hard rock or heavy metal or were, were outcasts. They did see them as different, but they were interested in like what they did. So um, I was always like a cool, like I used to bridge the two together a lot where I would introduce them to like, Hey, this is my buddy. He skateboards and he plays in an awesome metal band. I would go to like random shows and see like cave and converge and like all the shit and bring some of my hockey friends there. I mean, there was a big band in Massachusetts called Sam black church. A lot of my guys were interested in that shit and we'd play it in the locker room. But like my guys like listen to like ACDC and Led Zeppelin and like hockey music, you know, but they were down for a little bit of Metallica and like they'd be like, Seuss, man, you know, what's that? Kill your mother, kill your father shit. You know, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, they, you know, and, and as I grew up and I became a musician and I started like, like getting to know other musicians like that were like big and famous. I started realizing that like the big dogs in the music biz were no different than like the big dogs on my teams, you know, if anything, the jock guys were kind of funnier because they're a little more laid back and, and a little more comical. But yeah. uh, for the most part, the personalities are the same, especially like the tight wound, like musicians who think they're special. Like there are like, there are hockey players like that too, who would be like, you know, like, like prima Donna is kind of like that and think they're special too. Yeah. But at least in like, it's in, in, in music, you can't knock someone down a peg or two by fucking laying in them on pre in practice or in a game. But, uh, but yeah, that's why I think hockey players are a little more grounded because you can fucking really like someone gives you shit. You can fucking hand it to them. Yeah. Put them in the boards. Yeah. Especially when you're wearing a C on your Jersey, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta old man, some people sometimes, you know? So let's, uh, I, I kind of want to just like segue into, into just growing up in, in the Massachusetts area. Cause you just kind of, brought up the you know going out and seeing converge you know converge has been a band and has been a huge influence on the heavy metal music scene since the early 90s but uh what was it like kind of like seeing them you know growing up in in massachusetts as, as they were kind of like coming up well it's it's much different like you have the internet now right where you can yeah. like seek out bands and go find them and see where they play back in the day um i was obviously like this jockey kid who would like mingle and like love heavy music. So there was a, um, in North Andover as, as Converge and, and Caven would call it the Merrimack Valley. Uh, they had their own scene and like, believe it or not, there was like this barn in the middle of nowhere in the sticks that would, I, I, could, I wasn't old enough to drive. And I would have my father drive, my father would drive me all the time to this place called the red barn. And I would see like overcast and Converge and, all these amazing bands like uh, Youth of Today would, you know, show up and like all these like hardcore bands, Bane and Piebald. And like there's such a weird mix of music uh, coming out of that, like one little scene. Yeah. And obviously Converge was playing clubs and stuff like that. But I'm talking about like the real early days when Converge was still they still sounded like Biohazard. You yeah. Know? Um, so like I was there very, very early and I was just absorbing all the all the great music in that area. And it was like you had to kind of go to the VFW halls and, and see what was happening. And it actually, it's actually how I kind of met Buzz. Um, I met Buzz. Uh, I went to go see this band called Spoo and they were like really awesome. This guitar player was like a little kid. He looked like Kurt Cobain and he was like a virtuoso <laughs> and played like met pretty cool metal. Um, and I saw this band called 0.04, which was Buzz Rover who passed away, who was in on earth in the original uh, member and Mike Rudberg and a, and a couple other guys. Um, it was just like they played this like weird battle of the bands and like I thought they were fucking amazing. And I remember saying to somebody randomly, like I was like, bands don't play metal like these guys. Like if I was ever going to be in a band, I would want to be in a band with like these guys. 
And sure enough, like years later, people would be like, yeah, like Buzz hit me up and he's like, yo, I hear you're a good guitar player. You should like come try out. And like, I was like, I was floored. I was like, oh my God, I, I can't wait to play with this band 0.04. And um, it's kind of crazy because like, you know, we were playing a certain type of sound of metal that like people weren't, you know, interested in, or like, it was like, you know, the straight edge hardcore thing was really big and Converge was like, you know, they were pretty extreme, but they kind of like owned Boston for what they did. And it was very hard yeah. to get those. So we just like put our heads down and did our thing. And we actually came to Long Island, New Jersey and Canada and all, all these other places. We got cool elsewhere before we got cool in Boston, really. Um, so it was like kind of one of those weird things because everyone's always looked at us as like these guys from 0.04 and oh yeah, they're just, they're whatever. But when we left town and we started playing everywhere else, uh, we got uh, greeted like very kindly by other scenes and uh, we got really lucky. Which is crazy to think too, because like it, especially like with within that scene like you had kill switch engage coming out you had shadows fall coming out like you had all these like integral bands coming out from like with a similar sound all from like almost like the same area and it was just, it's always kind of funny when you talk to some of these bands are like yeah like we, we were big everywhere else and everywhere else gave us a lot of love and then our hometown didn't and then they did dude the adam d and i we were like okay so this is the weird bridge between eastern mass and western mass and i think the guys would admit this if you ask them yeah i went to school for one year i got like uh scholarships to like really great hockey and soccer schools and like i wasn't sure college was right for me so i went to a state school where a lot of my friends from high school were going to so i could play soccer with them just yeah. guys that i grew up with and i just felt comfortable my first year of school, like, you know, just going there. And that was in Western mass. And that was at a place, a, a school called West Westfield state, which is now Westfield university. I happened to just like one night go to a, a, a radio, like kind of thing, like a late night, like pirate radio thing. And there was this kid, his name was Theo and he was playing like hate breed and Bane and all these great bands. And I was like, dude, you're into this music. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm, it was like December. So like half the year was over. I was like, yo, like I've been starving for a fucking show. Like, is there like anything around here that I should know about? And he's like, well, I play in a band called Catch 13, which was like a up and coming straight edge band. Tom Gomes, yeah. who was the original drummer from Killswitch played in it and a few other guys. But I met a lot of really great people. And from there, I met Scott Lee. Uh, I met Adam D. I met all these guys. And I saw like, I met Phil Labonte when he was the singer of Shadows Fall. I was seeing all these fucking cool bands from over here. And I started like integrating 0.04 into yeah. Western Mass. And then we like, you know, I kind of like put the kibosh on 0.04 and I asked Buzz, like, will you start this other band with me? And the other guys came and we kicked some guys and we shift some members around. We didn't have yeah. a singer. But ultimately what ended up happening was, was like, I knew Adam before when he was in Aftershock. I always knew Adam Diaz, like him and his brother, Toby, yeah. You know, and I used to like sleep at Adam's house and we used to go out and like hang out at parties and shit. Like, you know, so this is all pre kill switch engage and all that other stuff. So, you know, like it was a really special time. And like, even when the bands got big, like it was always like, Oh, it's just, it was always just cool to hang out with your friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll say that like the kill switch engage um, show that got them signed. We play this place called a flywheel. It was a room that was no bigger. It couldn't it couldn't have fit more than 60 people maximum. And there was oh. like maybe like 15 people there and they were all sitting on the floor. Killswitch Engage played in front of Mike Gitter and we played 
and like we sat down on the floor when we played because everybody else was sitting down on the floor <laughs> and like that was like the our first show with kill switch engage and and that shit you know so it was like it wasn't like it was great and glorious but kill switch was always great adam was yeah adam was the producer he was the guy you know like he was just a good friend still is to this day just a rad dude you know we met so many good people like even the uh, kill switches tech josh the guy who strings their guitars and puts on the show he's i've known him longer than adam like and he's still there working for those guys i i was there when he met his wife you know i was there when i was going to college and hanging out with his friends you know like it's just we're talking about 1998 97 yeah. you know that's so sick i love it yeah this yeah. is this is what this podcast is for getting these like these stories coming out of just like what 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 life was like back before we had the internet to promote yeah shows <laughs> like you know, i remember you know it's funny real quick too just yeah. to, just to add to this i'm you know think of a young like if you look at early pictures of unearth look at like trevor my singer like like you know ran track he was a jock i fucking like played hockey and other sports we used to like kill time when we like showed up to a show playing wiffle ball, when yeah. we like, like, like when we met up with like, when we first like went on tour, like poison the well and other uh, places and like, like as things to conscience, that record like blew up kind of in our scene ish. And we made it to the West coast. I'm not going to name names, but we got asked to like hang out and sleep over like some really cool kids house, like, you know, from <laughs> these bands and these West Coast kids with all their haircuts flipping up and the half dyed and everything was just perfect. Yeah. Like their their outfits and the girls they were hanging out with and everything. Like we they literally took one look at us and they're like, these guys are fucking jocks. Like we weren't cool. And like and I think like as the band like got cool, they were like still confused as to why we were cool because we weren't like as scenesterish, you know? Yeah. I think that that was kind of like, you know, the you know, coming, I, I played sports all throughout high school. I played football. I was on the wrestling team. Uh, and we didn't have hockey in Florida, like at all. Um, I literally came from like Miami. I grew up going to poison the well shows, like catching them, like throughout like the early two thousands as much as I could. Cause that was when I was able to convince my mom to let me go to these shows. But you know, one of, one of the reasons why I gravitated more towards like at least exactly what you were saying, like the Boston metalcore, deathcore genres is because you guys looked like me and I yeah. looked like you guys. And I didn't, I never wore like the deep V cuts or I never had the bleached hair or any of that stuff that's like now kind of like memorized or it's like it's, it's immortalized in like MySpace scene culture. I was the exact opposite. I right. was the guy in, you know, a, a hockey snapback hat going to shows with like Adidas old schools and like spin kicking some kid in the chest. Right. Like that's who I was. Right. And, it, and I gravitated because of exactly what you said. Like you guys were the like, you know, you guys dressed up like the jocks. And that's how I gravitated more towards like especially just Boston metal in general or Massachusetts metal in general. Yeah. Well, like it's funny, my best friend uh plays in a uh played in a band called um uh Waltham in the in the area and Waltham mm -hmm. was like a really good like pop band. Uh you should check them out. They're fantastic. But before I knew these guys, before I knew Frank and before I knew his brother Dave, who are like master master musicians, unbelievable artists, uh we played a show and Frank tells me to this day, the first time he's like I heard of you or your band. My brother went to the New England Metal Fest 
and he's like, yo, there's a dude on the stage. And like, he's like, he looks like us. He has a big head, little body playing guitar. Like he like fucking just got out from under a truck, you know, like, like, you know, doing some mechanic work on a truck, like worked at a radiator shop or some shit, you know? And like, he's playing metal, like, like, you know, like, like a dude. And he, I think we're related. That's what he kind of said. And and he's like, I got to see this band, you know? And like, it's funny too, because like, that's the way I try to come off on stage. Like, I'm not trying to like, try, I'm not trying to wear perfect clothes or yeah. like look metal or be metal. I'm trying to be Ken Susie. Like if you meet me in real life, like you're going to get the guy who like, yo, I want to hang, like you look at me on stage and you either say, I'm not into that dude. Cause he's fucking gross or whatever or you look at him and you say i'd love to like hang out with this guy because like yeah. he's like one of my buddies that you know I, he reminds me of this guy that i hung out with or something you know you guys were the dudes shredding on stage downing beer and having <laughs> yeah. a good fucking time like that right. was 100 what what drove me into this entire just any genre that had core after it i was into it right Right. Like literally, like I'll, I'll tell you this, like I literally just played hockey the other, like last night and like the talk, like I party with my, my hockey team the same way I party with my metal dudes. And like we were, I was actually talking the other night. I was like, when Azalea dying plays fucking the palladium or Boston, I'm going to get my own dressing room. We're going to get a keg and we're going to have a fucking keg party in it. I'm going to have my whole fucking hockey team in there and all my buddies. <laughs> and we're just going to get weird for a while and fucking play a show, you know? Yeah. That are, are they like familiar with, with your band? Like they're a couple dudes, you... couple dudes. I go a couple dudes. I go to shows with my, my really good friend, Nick, uh, who plays on my line. He's a phenomenal hockey player. He and I like, you know, he comes to like my shows and I go to his all the time. Uh, he's very much in the middle. And there's a couple other guys that are like, really like I took them to see carcass obituary and, um, Amon Amarth. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, there's times where I'm just like, yo, since I work artist relations, uh, for Fishman, like I'm always going to concerts. So, I just take my buddies with me and you know, it's always good rolling with these fucking dudes that are like massive hockey players. <laughs> I mean, these gigs. So oh. th now that you brought that up, I'm just going to ask the question for, for the gearheads that will listen to this and they'll, they'll be mad at me if I didn't ask this. So how did you get involved with, with Fishman? Uh, it's really, really a crazy story. Um, I, uh, you know, long story short, uh, I just always knew Fishman was in Boston Mm -hmm. And Larry Fishman is known as this, like, I think he's just like, if you, if we're going to talk about like the Godfather, he's like a made man in the industry. Like he's like, you know, he's one of the guys you have to meet in your life yeah. time. Um, he's kind of like a, you know, a urban legend, you know, how great he is. And um, so like they were working on a new pickup company, like, this, uh, sorry, they're always, they're the number one, like pickup provider for all OEM acoustic guitars. And they're just known for like, you know, I used to say they're the Les Paul or the Fender of acoustic guitar pickups and stuff. Yeah. They're, they're the top of the top. Right. Um, but like uh, my brother who is a shredding guitar player, as well as a hockey player, um, is a very online active, uh, guitar Ibanez forum guy. And he builds guitars and stuff. And this one guy, Frank Falbo reached out to me and said, Larry Fishman wants to meet your brother from unearth and blah, blah, blah. And he wants him to come in and try these pickups. Now me, like I used to get flown around by like EMG and other uh, in my guitar companies, Ibanez and whatever. So I was never really interested in like checking out guitar pickups that like, you know, cause I, everyone's really stubborn. It's something you yeah. just don't want to change. And like, I went in there as a professional kind of courtesy 
to just, I just wanted, I just thought it'd be cool to meet Larry Fishman. So I went in there one day and like, he's like, bring all your great guitars. Like I want you to AB and like his pickups were like so good, like leaps and bounds better than anything I had. He had guitars that were like worth like seven, $800 that were blown away four or $5,000 guitars that I had. And I like literally like, it was like a brand new thing. And I was taking a huge risk by even just thinking about like going there and like becoming an artist for them because I, they didn't really have a huge artist roster or anything. And they were trying to like basically court me to play the stuff. And like, I'm looking around the room and I'm like scanning the room as I'm trying these pickups out. And there's guys in like popped collars and polo shirts and they're like very acoustic oriented company. And like, I left there and I'm like, Larry, like, let me take some of these pickups to my studio and let me try them and I'll, I'll give you a call. And he gave me his personal number. So like that was like a Friday and I think I called him on like Monday or Tuesday the next like week and I just called him and I said, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this. This pickups are really, really good. And I said, I'm a professional musician and like I and I've I've invested my money wisely. I've done real estate. I've done like a lot of different things. And I said, like, I don't need a job with you, but I I have this like eerie suspicion that like if I join up with you this isn't going to like, if I don't join up or whatever, if I don't help you with the project, I don't want it to fall flat on this face. I, I want to see you make money and I want to see this get out there because the technology is too good. It's re it's the best invention uh, from uh, like on a guitar that's happened in the past, like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I want to be a part of this. And he's like, so he, he had me come in and we did like three days of like uh, interviews and shit and like i met up with the team and they asked me they grilled me for like three days and then at the end of it they're like you we need to pay you like if you're going to be an employee or you're going to work for us like you know we need to pay you and i'm like i don't want any money i i'll do it for free like this is just too good i i like really just want to help you larry like this isn't like a money thing for me and he's like no like i i need to pay you you know so like the final conversation with me and the coo was like i don't know pick up managers like whatever manager makes at mcdonald's or whatever fucking give me whatever they make you know i don't give a shit and like they hired me i went in there one day a week and then by like three months later like larry like introduced me to his wife at the christmas party and he's like oh this is the new fluence brand manager and i'm like what are you talking about and he just kind of winks at me and he's like don't worry about it and like he's just like he's just kept me under his wing and he's like you know he he believes in my vision and we've created it. We work really well together in me and the team and Larry. He's just created such a path for success for me there. Um, he's just such a, like, he's a father figure for to me. Like, yeah. other than my own dad, like, I respect him. I've learned so much from him. Um, he's the, the, one of the, the greatest people I've ever met. And, like, I've met, like, Dimebag, and he, I hold him in such high regards. Like, Larry Fishman is right up there with, like, all the gods I've ever met in my, in my life. And he's genuinely like one of the best people I've ever met, like even out of, out of the business as well. That's amazing. It, it's, it, it, it blows my mind. Like you said, like, you know, you went in there just thinking they're just an OEM, like acoustic, you know, just a pickup company and just seeing how the fluence pickup has influenced heavy music in general over the last 10 years has been absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. Well, no one knew, no one knew how good it was. <laughs> and I've literally like, I spent three years on the phone, like being like, Hey dude, like seriously, please, I try swear, just try it. And it wasn't because I was making money. 
on it or I was selling people on it or anything. It had nothing to do with that. I was literally like, Adam, D, fucking try this, dude. I know this is going to change your life. And when dudes did try it, they were like, Jesus Christ, like, how do I get more of these? And like, as the, as like the world turns and every year that goes by, we went from making like nothing to making millions. And like, we're just, the product line is just taken off and it's for good reason. It's like the foundation of fluence and the people that surround it are built on everything that's good in the industry. It is not, there's no ill will. There's no like dirty business shit that happens behind the scenes. There's no like shitty, like. I can't explain it, but like you, I think you guys all know if you work in corporate America, there's always yeah. shitty people with their tactics and the things that they try to pull to like, you know what I mean? Get some like, get ahead in life. And like Fishman's not like that. We do straight business. We, we, we think about the people that are playing our products and they just do good business and they do good things. And it's like, we're making the world better by doing it. And we, we've replaced uh, an 80 year old technology. That's just bullshit copper winding pickups it's like watching an old tube it's like watching the hockey game on a tube television versus versus a, a high def uh you know tv yeah it's like you could see everything you could see the pimples on someone's ass you know like that's how fluence <laughs> is if you play bad you'll hear it if you play yeah. perfect it sounds perfect you know i love that Mike, you so- think that's a good segue to uh to get into our DraftKings talk just get that out of the way <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> all right so Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. So, can I endorse up... it too? Yeah, absolutely. You lose yeah. all your, or you could just lose all your money and make all the worst picks. Hundreds <laughs> of dollars down the drain. DraftKings, buy it. <laughs> Download it now. Amen. <laughs> so, like Put you all said, your money on Crosby to not score. Well, he's not scoring right now. At <laughs> yeah, all. that's true. That is a fact. <laughs> so you will lose a lot of money if you put money on Crosby to score. Yeah. How yeah. crazy. I know we're in the middle of an ad, but how crazy is that, that Sidney Crosby is not in the playoffs right now? I think everyone's so happy. Yeah. yeah. He's he's soft. He's <laughs> he soft. soft. When, that's for when, sure. when the Bruins played them, like, I don't know, whatever, when Char was still around, like, I forget it was, we went to the playoffs and Crosby just got so bent over. He couldn't break Chara. And Charge just fucking kept leaning into him all series. It was just such a great thing to watch. So, so anyway, DraftKings. Draft yeah. Sports look at now and use yeah. promo code THPN. New customers <laughs> can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, all right. So, uh, Justin, you Let's ready for Let's face it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> With coffee starting at five dollars, even without customizations like your cinnamon, vanilla, brown sugar shake and espresso, and our bank account somehow always depleting, we are officially entering a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based off of the brand name. So a good duplicate or dupe is crucial for getting the highest quality at the best price. But one dupe that you shouldn't sleep on Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at a perfect price point. So you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon's mission is to prove that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other more big name tech brands out there. Raycon knows that 
In this economy, every purchase needs to be perfect. They offer buy, buy now and pay later options. Right now, you can pay as low as $18 at checkout. They have an easy and free return guarantee. They offer two years of product protection insurance for just a few bucks. They offer free domestic shipping and flat rate international shipping. And they have over 50,000 five-star reviews. Sign me up, baby. So go to buyraycon.com slash THPN and get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score 15%. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. So, Kent, I want to jump into kind of that, like, crossroads moment. So, you know, you clearly were very interested in soccer, hockey, and music. At some point, you had to kind of make a decision on kind of where you wanted your your life to go. And I guess, was there like one moment that stands out as like, you were like, all right, I'm choosing the path of music. Yeah, it was a pretty easy decision. Um, I spent most of my life playing hockey and soccer and it was like it consumed all of my time. And music was always in and around all that. So I was always busy, always getting shuffled around. By the time I got to college, um, you know, I played uh, one year hockey and soccer at Westfield State. Then I went to uh, UMass Boston, played uh, two years soccer, one year hockey. I couldn't do uh, two years of hockey just because it was like it was too much um, just with like the workload. And, and like I was like constantly, especially in the winter months, like on a Friday, like playing like, you know, my band would be like, we're going to go play Philly. And we'd like, they pick me up from, you know, college on Friday and we'd drive straight to Philly, play a weekend or go to Canada and then come back. It was just too much. So um, honestly, the moment, like the moment, like I knew I wasn't going to like, I w- always wanted to play in the NHL. I always want to try to like get up in the o- OHL and all that. And, um, you know, I've obviously like jumped into like certain games with guys and certain teams and like, you know, in different leagues. Uh, but what ended up happening was like, I, 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 did a lot of um, playing with um, Chris Pronger, uh, Martin St. Louis when they were trying, when they were like training at BU, I had an in there and like, those guys were just so fast and so powerful. Mike Greer, another great player. Um, they were just so big and strong and like, and like Martin St. Louis was like my height, but so fucking powerful. And I just knew like, I'm not going to make it right. Like, it's just like, you, you just know, but also like, there's a moment too, like where like you you know, your coach is like I'm not gonna name what sport or which which coach, but like you know you're supposed to give your 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 whole body. You're supposed to sacrifice like everything to like block a shot or save a goal or to score something. And like you know when your team's like doing well, but you're not like necessarily in first place, you might be third or whatever. You get to a point where you're like I don't want to break my hand. I can't break my hand. I can't break my wrist. I can't break another rib. Like I can't bruise another, my back again or whatever, you know, or take a shot yeah. off the top of the foot. Like I just remember being on the bench and saying like, this is my last year. Cause like, I got to save myself for the things that are important. Um, and at that time I just knew something was going to happen with unearth. And um, it was, it was a, it was a huge risk because back in like 2000, there was no real, Ozfest or or real warp tour for metal bands underground metal bands are playing vfw halls and like metal was not mainstream yet you know kill switch i think was just putting out a uh, uh, a live or just breathing so mm-hmm. the scene wasn't that fruitful even though there was some bands that were doing it uh and and there was never a like like we never got in the van thinking like 
we're going to make money and be able to support our lives in the house. It was more like we just got back from a month of touring and I made, and I came home with $1,500. I paid my rent like, and I have a few dollars extra, <laughs> you know, like, and then I would pick up like, you know, shitty jobs, like at a uh, temp agency just to get through. Um, I was actually a tax examiner for a while at the state uh, mass department of revenue. Um, so like I was doing things and I had a really nice job and I could have like walked in, make it $90,000 a year, but I actually like right out of school, I saved one credit to like, I, I, when I say saved, I didn't, gra I graduated, I walked, but I didn't get my diploma and I left one credit open. So I could either play sports when the band was over, or I could just like finish school with a, with a, a up-to-date diploma. So I was, I told my parents, I was like, cause they're a big part of my life. I said, listen, I just graduated college with one credit shy. I said, I, I really want to just like tour for a couple of years and get this out of my system and make sure that like, I can't like, I'm not missing out on anything. And then I'll, after two years, I'll come back and I'll like, just finish the one credit and have a valid degree and just move on with my life. I just got to see this one through. And they were very supportive of it. They didn't, they didn't know what the fuck I was doing. They just knew I was going on tour. And then like, I swear to God, like two years later, like we were on Ozfest. We no, sorry, we were out uh, on tour with Dimebag, like uh, the Damage Plan and all that shit. Yeah. Hate breeding, like the, these massive tours. And my parents had no fucking clue. They had no fucking clue what, what I was doing, even though they were very supportive. Uh, but like, I remember I came home from tour all beaten up from that Damage Plan tour because we were drinking so much with Dimebag. And my mother, like, I, I, I was like actually staying with them at one point because I didn't have a home. And uh, my mother just like looked at me and she's like, when are you going to get married? Like, when are you going to like have kids? When are you going to like get a job? And like, you know, this, you can't do this your whole life. And I was like, I was like, you have no, you have no idea what I just did. Like, you have no <laughs> idea. Like I, I said, like, I think we're going to make it for whatever that means. Like before it started off with like, just like trying to drive from place to place and hope that people knew our lyrics. And like when we played, like people would sing in the mic with Trevor. And then it turned into like, we're playing fucking Ozfest. And like, and that was the turning point where like, when we got like offered Ozfest, it was like my parents came out and saw that we were playing with Black Sabbath and Ozzy, mm -hmm. and like we were playing massive festivals and with thousands of people. And then, and then they started coming out to the Slipknot shows. My mom, as I called it, started getting recognized at the uh, at the uh, fucking Stop and Shop downtown <laughs> in, in Grafton. Like she'd pull out her uh, her her credit card. And so I'd be like, oh, Ken, do you know Ken Susi? Are you related to him? She's like, oh, he's my son. And she'd just brag that, like, you know, people, like, you know, kids that are handling baggage would be like, wait, Ken Susi lives in this town? You know, like, shit like that started happening to them. So then they were starting to be like, wait, like, I think, like, they're doing something. So they were more understanding and, like, obviously very supportive and loving people. And um, I ended up, like, in 2005 buying the house right next door to them. Uh, and my brother lives on like, you know, my sister lives up the street. I bought the house next to them. My brother lives on the other side of my parents. We own a whole cul-de-sac. So, so <laughs> yeah, if you, if, like everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. yeah. Just real life. Oh, I love my family and they're the greatest. They're the greatest people in the world. Like I grew up in a family where like very musical, none of us ever argued. Like we're just really like kind people at heart. Uh, they, they keep me very grounded, but, uh, yeah, if you read, like, if you go on any forum and people talk about me, they're like, Ked Susi lives has lived he he lives at home or he lived at home all these years. I'm like no motherfucker. I bought a five hundred fucking thousand dollar home next to my parents, <laughs> and I would and I would specifically put my studio in here so I could work here and then go upstairs and eat ravioli with my parents. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so like that was a fucking like that was important to me. 
And uh, without them, like, you know, that was the real transition. I kind of gave you like the transition into like real life, but um, yeah, my family and, and like everybody started really recognizing what I did uh, when we started hitting somewhat of a mainstream, which was, you know, we're on headbangers ball. I was on TV. Like I just recently played Vok in front of 90,000 people and fucking it was like the most surreal surreal moment in my life with like as i lay dying this new band this new experience and i i sent my parents and my hockey team like and everyone i knew like because they're all like Seuss, if you're gonna play this shit like send us the link so we could watch it and so they're watching it and, they, and everyone's like my nephew lived next door we're like is that really my uncle on stage playing yeah. in front of all those people he had no, like my nephews don't even fucking know what i do you know like for a living and uh, it was a really amazing moment because there's like massive amount of people. All my guys got to like see what I do. And uh, my parents were definitely like, it was funny. I called my father like right after the show because it was like, you know, pyro and shit at the end. And uh, and I was calling him, but I didn't know there was a delay. So he's like, cancel the phone. He's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, did you like the show? And he's like, Ken, is that you? You're, I, I'm still watching you. Wait, 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 how are you on stage? <laughs> he's like an older guy. So anyway, it was fucking awesome. Like, you know, I've lived such a great life, you know. It's just so funny. Your mom sounds like my mom. Like she <laughs> she saw you at Ozfest playing to all these people, but the moment she realized that you made it was when your name was recognized in Stop and Shop. Like my mom's whole <laughs> life revolves around the grocery store. She'd be like, "Oh, Michael, did you hear that like uh, like you can yeah. get your loans forgiven by going to the hits. And I'm like, where'd you hear that? Oh, I was talking to someone in stop and shop. I'm like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> who do you talk to? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're an older woman and you go to stop and shop and someone's like, Hey, uh, Susie, huh? Or like, or like one time, uh, uh, ex-girlfriend of mine from middle school, like literally like hit my mom up and she's like, Hey, Mrs. Susie, she recognized her from like years ago. And then she's just like, I, you know, I, your son's the only rock star I've ever dated. I just want to let you know. And my mom's like, okay, I don't even know who the fuck you are, but that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, but uh, but no, it's been a wild ride, and I've given them a lot to be proud of. You know, I try to, I try to, like, I know that, like, Mike, I call it a a character. I play on stage, but I also play it in real life. Like that is me. Like the wild side of me is all the guy who's on stage and backstage. But for the most part, like. I've done my family right. I've done my family. Like my family's very close, even my extended family. So they all respect what I do. And uh, I, you know, I try to do my best, you know, to like, you know, have people know my, my family name and, and have a positive, I guess, like, you know, like um, interaction remembrance. Yeah. yeah. Of, of what that is, you know? Cool. So one of our favorite things to also talk about on this podcast is when your two worlds collide. So like you've, played all over the world and clearly you're a huge hockey fan so like when you're on tour and playing in some of these arenas and stuff like have your two worlds like literally meshed ever when you're on road on the on the road yeah a lot um i was really good friends with um a a guy who ran uh the pepsi center uh in colorado and he used to feed me equipment like a lot so and sometimes ice time when I was up there, you know, so that was like always really great. Cause like, you know, before a concert, I, I wouldn't be backstage getting ready. I'd be fucking in an arena fucking by myself, ripping slappers, you know, oh with God. some shit, That's you know, sick. which is, which is dope. And then like, 
I think Mitzi probably talked about this. Who's like one of my favorite guys in the whole planet. Like touring with him's always been great. Cause he and I just like, we'll yell at each other and are in each other's faces about how the range, I think the Rangers suck, you know, and fuck you, and it would fuck you, the Bruins, you know, like, like we get, like we might, I wouldn't want to fight him because his fist is probably as big as my head, but <laughs> I, you know, we've almost come to blows over hockey conversation, but I, I love him to death. And one time we got to, um, we played a, I forget what, what, what tour we were on. Was it South of the Underground? Maybe. Yeah. And we went into the, um, the Edmonton Oilers. Locker yes. Room and, I love this story. Yeah. And like, you know, he and I were just basically like, you know, we got the tour and then they're like, Oh, we're going to show you the door. And like, obviously, you know, just to, I know you guys have probably heard this, but like Mark Messier during a playoffs, like fucking punched a hole through a steel door that like, we all know what that hockey door looks like from, you know, whatever. And to punch through that fucking thing, we, even Mitz and I were like, God damn it. Like if there was ever a time, <laughs> if we were in that locker room and some motherfucker did that, I would be ready to go play a period. I don't care how tired or hurt I was like that shit's fucking insane. But you know, again, I, I was, I was, you know, I got close with Drew Stafford, uh, mm-hmm. you know, years ago and, you know, it's just, it's always good to meet like other guys. And and it's so funny because Drew Stafford and I would always talk about like, Hey, like, let me tell you about like all these guys that I know in the metal world. And he'd be like, Oh, well, there's the same stories about all these guys in the hockey world. And we'd exchange stories like about like, you know, the shit, you know, the greasy shit, you know, that yeah. like you, you shouldn't know, but we would tell each other these secrets and stuff. And it was like, it was really interesting to hear about like all your favorite hockey players, you know, like the weird shit they did in, you know, behind the scenes. Now is Drew Stafford a hockey fan? I mean, a, a metal fan. Loves fucking Camara. Loves Camara like like no other. Likes Unearth. Likes all the bands that we like. He's Stafford's like a like a real hometown motherfucker. Like he's just like one of, one of your dudes that like just you know you would have grown up with. Uh, he actually played. I think his like claim to fame was that he played on a line with um uh um uh Crosby uh when they were on the up and up. Uh, I don't know if they were at Michigan together or they, they might've played the world juniors together or, or even like, you know, for team USA, I, you know, I'm sorry, team Canada, but uh, either way um, he grew up in Edmonton as like a, you know, I think one of his family members worked for the Oilers in the organization and he just like worked his way up, played Michigan hockey. Uh, what a fucking like rounded, great guy, like such a great guy, huge metalhead. Yeah, he was he was in uh the every time I die video decaying with the boys. He was, he was in the background playing Jenga. Yeah. And yeah, he plays guitar. He came to my studio once and we recorded a track together. Ritz. That's that's wild. sick. Is yeah. he is he playing in a band right now or is he just doing like his own shit? He's probably just straight up fucking rich from hockey, probably like, you know, doing <laughs> some type of fucking like fitness shit, like you know what I mean, to training people or some shit. But I'm sure he's still ripping guitar. I'm sure he's I haven't talked to him in years, but he's just such a fucking great guy. I can't I can't say enough good shit about him. He's a great guy. Now, um, when you guys were um, on Metal Blade, I- I'm assuming it came up that like Brian is a huge hockey fan as well, right? He yeah he he like straight up like I would tell him all the time about like hockey and shit, about, like my career and whatever. And he like looked me up and was like, "Oh, dude, you really were a player." <laughs> He's like, you know, he found my shit back then. So he re- we've always had like a mutual respect for the sport and. Um, there's a lot of times like we'll catch a, a ducks game when we're in Anaheim for Nam and stuff, but like Slagle obviously knows all types of motherfuckers in the league and, and, and shit. And like Slagle's a real hockey nut. I mean, he, I think he has like every Jersey ever, ever. Dude. It's so funny. I, I went to um, UBS arena for the first time 
uh, over Christmas break. And I'm sitting in the stands before the game starts. And then all of a sudden on the Jumbotron is Brian. And I'm like, <laughs> and like, he's very recognizable. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell? And yeah. it goes into this whole story about how one of the Islanders in the late eighties recorded a metal record on metal blade records. That's so cool. It was like the coolest crossover story ever. And I'm like, what the heck? I never heard this story at all. And he's like, it's kind of like a short mini documentary. He's talking about this whole, like how it came to be. Yeah. And, you know, he's obviously like the guy that kind of discovered Metallica and, and like, yeah, or at least like put out some of their earliest releases. And to hear. Boo. Oh, we just lost them. I'll finish the story. Slagle's <laughs> fucking Slagle. Slagle is like one of the nicest guys and he knows everything about hockey, everything about metal such a connoisseur of of all things that are nice but uh you could talk for hours with him on hockey yeah i don't know what just happened i just we never lose right you yeah but i'm here sorry about that professional so, podcast over here i have i have i have a fun fact about stafford he was in a band with jordan parisi okay back That's when good. they were in the university of north dakota together it was called Red Seal Peach, and Parisi was playing drums, I think. Yeah, dude, fucking Stafford could drip. He plays guitar. He's good. He plays he plays guitar and drums really well. Yeah. I like he, pulled up that little fun fact on Wikipedia. I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. He he came over my my folks' house, like, and uh, my mother made him fucking bunch of like eggplant and lasagna and shit, and he was just like, This is the shit. Like he's Italian food. <laughs> He's yeah, dude. Like we had a real fucking Brodio with him. Like my sister named her kid Drew because he was just around the time she was pregnant, and they were like, "Oh, that's a cool name." It is like the name. Yeah, yeah. Fucking a man. That's Drew so Stafford. Awesome. I gotta buy his rookie card. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just give you one. By by the way, I'm I'm that guy in the locker room when I play. Like I'm just like you know. There was this dude on my team that like, you know, I had this like one like really good team that kind of broke up and we like all kind of migrated to another team. And I I squeaked one guy in under the radar and he's like one of those guys who's like might not be like the most like graceful player, but he's like just that grinder grinds constantly. And I would always just like chirp over his shoulder, brag to the dudes on the bench like he's my pick. I'm the fucking GM. I'm I'm the reason why he's out there. And then I would always be like, I'd always like after the game, I'd be like. We're still in the playoffs, boys. I got this motherfucker's rookie card. You know, I just like straight up like all year. I'm not riding him. I'm just like praising him. He ended up winning us the champion. We just won our men's league championship and he scored with one second left. And I was like, I feel I feel so accomplished as a GM. (laughs) (laughs) I'm that guy in the locker room. Um. So I, I know we're we're kind of like coming, we're creeping up on on the hour, but I already told Mikey I was going to go over this. Um, so as I lay dying, how did you come into playing with them? I know like HIPAA had left, um, but like, what's the story behind that? Like, how did you just link up with them and start ripping shows with them? Well, I've always like I've always known I've actually met Tim like years, years ago. ago. Like, yeah, in Long Island or some shit. Like, I met him, like, back before they were on Pluto or they were just recording for Pluto. So I've had a long history with Tim, and he's always been a sweet guy. Mm -hmm. I will be the first one to say, like, 
I, I I'll put this out there up front. Like when he, the shit happened with what he, you know, did in his life and I don't condone anything he ever did. And like, I don't support it at all, but I can tell you, he was a very different person during that time period. Like, like mm-hmm. I met up with him and they played the palladium. And I remember like going on the bus and saying hi to all my buds. And I went in the bus to say hi to Tim. And he was like a different person than I ever known him to be. So yeah. I don't know if there was substance or whatever. Like, I don't know what was going on with him, but I remember leaving the bus being like, yo, what's up with your singer? Like, Jesus Christ, you know? So, and all that shit happened or whatever. Years went by, you know, he and I, you know, he called me like when he like was getting out of prison and all that shit. And he was just very like, yo, I'm calling everybody. And I'm like, I feel awful about what I did. And I just want to like make amends or just like, you know, make sure that we're still friends. And I just kind of got to that point where like in my life where like I could hold grudges against everybody. I know a lot of bad people and I I know a lot of good people. But it depends yeah. on how bad of the thing that you did. Like what he did is it's awful. It's uh, it's it's unforgivable to a certain degree. But then again, I in my, in my head, I was like, no one got hurt. He did a serious amount of time. Yeah, he and did six years. He did six years and it wasn't like six easy years. And uh, and and I and I kind of said to him, listen, dude, like we've been friends for such a long time. I'm going to like give you the benefit of the doubt and say like you're 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 fully, uh, you know, recovered from this. And, you know, you've done your time. And I just said something along the lines of like, you need to walk this earth like as a saint for the rest of your life. And as long as you do, you and I will always be cool. I said, until you cross me or if anything like that ever happens again, like I can't support you at all kind of thing. And he hasn't disappointed me since. And Unearth did a tour with um, Azalea Dying in Europe. And, uh, you know, there was definitely friction in the Unearth camp um, Mm -hmm. as far as like, should we do this? Shouldn't we do this morally? Is it right? How are other people going to perceive us? You know, like there's a lot of that kind of talk. And my, my, my kind of point of view of that whole thing was like, we're there, we're here to play music. They're a great band. We've known them forever. Let's just fucking like go out on tour and have a good time and see what happens, you yeah. know? And um, the tour was great. They were playing in front of fucking 7,000 people a night. Like shows were insane. Uh, there was definitely friction in the band. You could totally tell there was like things happening. The the funny thing about Azalea dying that people don't understand is that like the reason why like people are leaving or left the band or things happen, it's not because of what Tim necessarily did per se. I know that's a part of it, but it was definitely like there's five very unique guys in that band. Yeah. And they were all very, very different people. And a lot of people don't understand that about that band because like Nick Hippa, very eccentric, super happy and fun has his like you know has his way about him jordan uh, phil tim they're all very josh they're very unique people and putting them together is sometimes toxic and sometimes it's really magical um so i was seeing a lot of that on tour and like yeah it was really funny because there was one um there was one sound check where like i grabbed a guitar and they were teaching me a song nick was and if you look back on my Instagram post, it was like funny because someone else from like the the drum riser took a picture down at me and like like Hippa like learning a riff, and and I and then like sent it to me and then I wrote on my Instagram like trade alert, Nick Hippa <laughs> from Azalea Dying gets traded to Unearth for Ken Susie in a first round draft pick. Like I, it was just like years before I knew he was gonna leave or anything. Yeah. It was just like kind of a comical joke, but it ended up like coming true okay it kind of came true but like in the in the moment um you know right after that tour phil kind of hit me up phil uh hit me up and said like i think nick's parting ways like i think he's leaving it's just like it's not working out and i think he wants out he has you know like things are happening right yeah and they just he just said to me like we want 
either you or you and Buzz to come out on tour with us and split the set or whatever. They were just like, we just want to kind of like tour with some friends and like, you know what I mean? Enjoy ourselves and pick some guitar players that we like to hang out with more so than just even play with. So I was like very much like, yeah, dude, like let's, yeah, I'm down to play. Like, you know, I would like to tour with you guys and see how it goes and just have fun. And uh, that was in 2019. And then like time flies by the pandemic sets in like this whole, like Phil and I just kept talking, you know, just in general, like, Hey, should I learn songs? Maybe not. Like they are looking for a real, a, a permanent guitar player, all this other shit. And then like the pandemic happened. There was some issues with my band that like, I don't want to get into. Yeah. As far as like creatively, philosophically, like everything. And like, there was a lot of like stuff and it was a lot of it was pointed like towards me. And my perspective of like what I think the band should be and what we should do and where we came from and how we used to do it and making decisions based off of like what we believe is right. And some guys are just like, let's play wherever there's electricity. Let's just fucking go. And, you know, and that's cool. But like, I'm also not 20 anymore. And yeah. I also want to retain like the, the specialness of the band. So you see a lot of bands that go away and then they come back and people miss it and all that shit. And like and like there was a lot of philosophical differences that were happening but then there was like some really like like stuff that just happened that shouldn't have happened and it, it could have been avoided if there was good communication but ultimately it like resulted in me literally writing a letter saying guys i'm sorry i, I can't do this anymore mm-hmm. and it, it like i was hurt and like there's things that like went that went down but but when i say i was hurt it's okay because like sometimes you just don't agree on things yeah and it's I, i'm hurt because it's a band i started and i put so much effort into it but ultimately, like, I had to also let it go because it was like, I can't be the guy always saying no to things and all that kind of stuff. And I just didn't want to be that guy in the band and say, guys, like, I don't think that's the right thing. And everyone's like, no, this is the right thing. And I can't convince five, four guys out of five that what I'm saying is right. And now what I believe to be right. I think I'm just now the square peg that can't fit in the round hole. Right. Mm. So I just said, like, listen, I'd like I just want to like leave. I just want to like step away and do my own thing. And I like literally like when everything resurfaced, like Phil and I were talking and like it turned into like I was still supposed to fill in for them. That never stopped from 2019. Yeah. So Phil was hitting me up and he's just like, hey, do you still want to play? And I'm like, I actually don't have a band anymore. And yeah, sure. Because like I don't have anything else going on. It would be great to like play with you guys. And like in my head, I was like, it would be a great field trip to like, you know, just do something else, be somewhere else. Yeah. Like, like, like sometimes you're just so in your own circle and smelling your own shit and your perspective of like your band in the scene and how everything is and how people perceive you was such like a integrated in my head as a guy in the band, but like having gotten out of the band and playing for somebody else, it was such a nice little field trip to like walk in somebody else's shoes and do some other shit, mm-hmm. you know? But one thing that I was very like, adamant about was i didn't leave on earth for you know financial reasons i didn't leave for i didn't leave i didn't join as la dying or anything full-time and i didn't like want to play with them for financial reasons it wasn't like it was a payday or anything crazy i do fine in my life yeah i just wanted to play music with some people that like i really like genuinely love and they're good guys and i've known them for such a long time and it worked and it just worked out i never left on earth because there was an opportunity in front of me it was never never anything like that it was more so like we're not vibing. I need to just go like do something else. It's like, yeah, uh, like after a, a vacation for a little bit, that's exactly like a musical journey, vacation, whatever you want to call it. But 
ultimately, um, I did some fucking shows with like Nick, like Nick was a part of the Nick uh, Pierce, the drummer was yeah. a part of like everything that was kind of happening as it was happening in parallel. And there was some things that were like kind of put on his shoulders that also were like, he, he agreed with a lot of the things I was saying, but he and I weren't talking. So it was very weird because like, I wasn't talking to him. He wasn't talking to me. I was very like distant from the band yet. He was agreeing with me, but not really articulating it with me or calling me. Yeah. So ultimately like after a week, a week after I like kind of resigned, he also sent a letter to everybody resigning as well and called me and was like, and we, we had a long conversation and he's like, yeah, I just don't want to do it anymore. And he's like, you know, I love the guys and everything, but I'm just, I can't do it like this anymore. I can't, I can't do this. And I said, dude, it's totally understandable. And then like, sure enough, like here I am as this guitar player is supposed to play for Azalea dying, thinking it's going to be Phil, Tim, Josh, Jordan, and myself playing on some shows turned out to be like Josh left for spirit box Jordan has been MIA for a while. We need a drummer and a bass player. And it's just me, Phil and Tim. And I'm like, whoa, this is fucking crazy. And I'm like, yeah, is this bad? You know? (laughs) And then like, and then like, I was just like, yo, Nick's out of on earth. You might want to call him, but I didn't really like put two and two together. I just kind of had a conversation with Phil. Like before he disclosed that, actually before he disclosed that Jordan was like not around, I also said to Phil, like, wow, man, like Nick left on earth. Like it's crazy. And then Nick, that Phil and Nick started talking, you know what I mean? And like, you know, it all kind of came together, but to be honest with you, when it came to like actually playing for those guys, the first phone call I made was to unearth to tell them, like at the time I was still in the band and I was like, I I think this would like get us, land us a good tour with them in the future Mm -hmm. to help our new record. That's, that was my first intent. Everybody knew I was going to do it. But then like, after the fact, it was like, I kind of, my second thing was like, I have to call Nick HIPAA because Nick HIPAA is like one of my closest friends, you know, like, like he, I consider him a close friend and I wanted him to hear this from me before he heard it from anywhere else. Yeah. My, my, I hold his friendships in such high regard that I, I didn't want to like not call him. And, and I think like when I did call him, he said it best. He's like, I'm so glad you called me. And you like, we talked before you like made any decisions or did anything because he goes, you know, I don't think you, you know, he's like, I, I'm not gonna tell you to do it or not do it, but he's just like, here are the, here are the things that you might, in, you know, endure if you join or if you play that with them. Yeah. And he's like, I'm just looking out for you as a friend. And, um, we had a really good talk and, and, and Nick's like supportive and we, we hang out and I get, I, you know, I got really lucky, you know, like with this gig is it, the gig's been really good so far. It just blows my mind how, <laughs> You know, uh, a guitarist from the North Shore like lines up with a with a band from San Diego, California. It's like <laughs> complete opposite sides of the coast. It's just a really cool. It's just a really cool like just story just of of all of it coming together, and especially with you know everything that Tim went through and everything that you guys have gone through. It's just like I don't know. It's like my two thousand like two to 2006 worlds colliding with everything (laughs) well west coast guys are very different than east coast guys yeah uh we have a we have a certain type of like way about us a bluntness and or like a a a swagger and the west coast guys don't have that so there is sometimes where like we're writing or things are happening and like they're just like it's too massachusetts for us you know and like (laughs) and i'll be like okay whatever like you know i don't know what that means but that's cool (laughs) but uh but no, ultimately it works because um, 
one of the things that I do like about Asla dying is, is that like business wise that we, we align with like our, like how to do things mm-hmm. from point A to point B, like, like, like seeing the tour through how to prepare for a tour, how to like, you know, how to set up a set list, how to do a live show. Me, Tim and Phil definitely align on how like the professionalism should be. Whereas like with Unearth, like I would say they're more so like, you know, we, we want to just like throw our gear up on stage and play. Yeah. Which is all, which is totally a way to do it. And it's awesome for me. Like I, I want to do big stuff. I, I've always, even in Unearth, I always used to like blow foghorns on stage and, and try to do things that would like incite the audience to remember you. And, um, as lay dying does take, like they take, a great amount of like detail into consideration when they, when they make decisions and they're very, very like communicative. Like they, yeah. they talk really well. We communicate very well. Like we get on a phone call and we all talk. Um, so that's actually really, really good. And they, and they're like appreciative of it too, too, because some of the members that have left, they're like, you know, we can never get on a phone call and talk. And I would always be like, well, I could never get on a phone call and talk. And now that we're all like, you know, like communicating well, and we all kind of have the same vibe of how to run a business and play in a band. Uh, things go together pretty easily. Yeah. Now you mentioned, uh, you know, writing with these guys for the first time. And from my understanding, you, you have some new, as I lay dying tunes that you guys have been working on. So how has that been going for you? Well, like how, how do I explain it? Like we, I was put into a position where like, I'm not a member of the band and I like, um, I never really aspired to be like a member of the band. It's kind of cool though. Then now that I've toured with them and I could see myself like, you know, playing with them full time or just touring member full time. But like, I didn't, ex- I didn't, I didn't expect them to ask me to like help. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's all well and good. It's like Tim, Tim and Phil like write the majority of the material. And I know Josh wrote a lot of the material. Um, so like I didn't ever, I, I, they're like the type of band that like they do their thing so well that I don't think they would need my help. So when they did extend themselves out and ask and say, Hey, like we really want you to be a part of this. It was actually a nice gesture. And I've been doing my best to like help them in every way, like along, along the way to insert myself. Like I've been really good about like, you know, here are these songs and inserting my notes and like, here's what I would do. And, you know, and like sometimes I come up with a riff or whatever and like in help, um, I'm not like, I'm not like in a hundred percent hands-on, but I also like don't have to be because like, I also don't want to fuck up like what they do, what they currently do. Uh, Cause yeah. they're such a good band as is. So um, I am helping um, the new records coming out really great. Um, Ryan, uh, Ryan Neff is like one of my favorite people ever. Like the bass player, Miss May I singer, like he's like one of the sweetest guys ever. And I, I like, I, he's someone who I always wish to be in a band with like his, the way he is, he's just such a great person. And, um, Nick, obviously I've, I have years of experience with him and Tim and Phil. It's just, everyone's been really easy to work with. Um, the record's coming out phenomenal. Uh, I think people are going to be surprised for sure. Okay. And, nice. um, are, are you flying out to like San Diego for these sessions or, you know, now with, all the like technology that we have, or are you able to do it remotely? I've flown out a couple times. Uh, most of it's been remote. Uh, I love the whole San Diego fucking based band thing for many reasons. <laughs> like I live in Massachusetts, so it gets fucking cold here. 
not that I'm like a puss and I can't handle the cold, but I also love like, <laughs> like when I go to rehearse weather, <laughs> right. When I go to rehearse with them, I'm on a beach, you know, on the ocean, like super chill. And in San Diego is a beautiful fucking place. Uh, so that helps. And like one of the best things in the world is that like when you go on tour and a lot of people like don't know this, but like usually when I was on tour with on earth, like a van or a bus would pick us up in the early days, a bus would pick us up and would start in Massachusetts, go around the country, come home and finish somewhere near Massachusetts and have to drive home with the bus. S -s Being in a San Diego based band is unbelievable because I fly to San Diego. We rehearse, we go, we play half the country and I'm home like two weeks and I'm home and I get like a day or two home and then we like do the rest of the tour and then I fly from wherever we are back to home. It's like the best situation for me because there's no like bullshit with travel for me. Yeah. Yeah. Touche. So I guess Ken, before we let you leave, you know, we are right in the middle of the playoffs and I, I know that you probably want to catch the end of the, the Bruins game if it hasn't ended yet. I think they're um, losing. Look, we jinxed no. you guys. Oh my god, we jinxed it. No, if they tied it, Bruins tied it in the third. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, Burrs are on. Yeah, there's a, there's what eleven minutes left. Oh god, <laughs> Bruins just like okay, like I'm just gonna answer your fucking question without you even asking it. Bruins <laughs> are gonna fuck if the I'm I'm not gonna be one of those fans that's like Bruins are gonna fucking win, bro. I'm just going to say if the Bruins pull this off this year, they are one of those deep, dark, heavy fucking teams that like you might have seen from Tampa from years ago. Like just yeah. like wear you down, big boy fucking hockey shit. And like I'm not just saying this because of the year that they have. They just they're they're they Don Sweeney made so many good moves with like Felino, uh Ove, what's his name? Ovalev or whatever from fucking the Capitals uh 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 Bertucci like all these dudes like Coyle starting to really develop Pasternak the first lines kicking all marks like like if this team pulls it off it's the great it's it might be the greatest team of all time assembled for one season I will never say like you know they're the greatest team of all time because like you know we all know that like the Edmonton Oilers of the 80s yeah you know what I mean like There's you know I, I can't disrespect you know the Canadian teams of the 70s and the 60s but I will say, like, single season-wise, if they win the Cup this year, it's, like, arguably the greatest team of all time, like, in a single season. And they'll be the third team in recent history, if they make it to the Cup and win, to win the Cup and the President's Trophy in the same season. Because I think yeah. the only other team in, in teams in modern history have been, like, the Red Wings and the Blackhawks. Right. And the tough part, the tough part is, is that like, well, let's not forget, like when the Bruins won the cup in 11, like we literally like beat the president's trophy team. I mean, we beat the Canucks. They were the best team in the league. Uh, so like that, that's, that's makes me nervous too, as well. But the thing I have confidence in, like, if the Bruins can make it through the East, I think they can easily win the cup. Yeah. I think, I think any team that we've been saying that this entire season, any team from the East, if they go to the Stanley cup, they're taking the Stanley cup. So, so my take is this, and I, and I don't mean to be like one of those guys, but like, I know hockey and like the Kings are shot. Like the Oilers are like, have great talent, but their fucking defense in the middle of the ice is just always open mm -hmm. for, you know, like, like, like Dresdel, whatever his name is. And, and Connor McDavid, it's all well and good. But if you don't have defense, real defense or, or uh, the middle of the ice, 
isn't clogged up with fucking big oafy fucking dudes that can lay body. Like you're not going to win a cup that way. And like avalanche are struggling with the fucking uh, Seattle, which is bullshit. Um, and like, you know, Dallas looks pretty good too. Like they might be one of those teams that makes it pretty deep, but like the fucking, I guess I just gonna say the East right now. God damn it. Like yeah. the Rangers, I think are the second best team in the East, even though they're like a low seed. Cause of Kane, they're just like, a hard ass team and they're giving fucking uh the devils a real run which is a great yeah. team and then you got like the canes are sick and the bruins and then like the leafs will choke we all know that but like but goddamn they're like them and tampa are really battling too it's been a great series the the tampa uh leaf series and i've i've been really pissed about it just because it's had me on the edge of my seat for the last three games but yeah i want to see i want to see the leafs win I want to see him play Bruins and Bruins sweep him in four. It would be just so such an ignorant fucking like <laughs> Leafs fans would just hang themselves. <laughs> I would if I was a Leafs fan. Let me can, let me just tell you. Let me tell you my missed opportunity since we're talking hockey, please. In 2010 and 2009. Okay, so let me let me go back a little further. I'm so sorry. I know no, you're we're good, trying you're to end good. here, but I'm just so excited about this conversation. I was such no, a fucking let him run. Okay, from birth. To like 97, I was such a Bruins fan. Like I would watch every fucking game with my father. I'd, I'd study everything. Ray Bork was an idol, lived in my town, went to his front door with a piece of paper as a little kid. And I said, can I have your autograph? And he's like, yeah, hold on one second. He takes the piece of paper from my hand, goes to the basement, grabs an autograph fucking photo of himself, signs it in front of me, hands it to me. I went to his door randomly. Ray Bork, <laughs> fucking greatest guy in the world. Anyway, I was That's a huge, huge Bruins fan, right? And then, like, Cam Neely, you know, Adam Oates, like, all these fucking great hockey players growing up. Like, I was, you know, they should have won the Cup in the 80s. Oilers took it from us, whatever. Um, when Cam Neely, when Alf Samuelson fucking hit Cam Neely and hurt his knee, that, I stopped watching hockey from 97 to, like, 2003. I couldn't Oof. handle how bad the Bruins, they became a bunch of fucking pussies. And the coach was a piece of shit. Like they, they ousted Chris Nyland off the team because they wanted to be a bunch of losers. And they were such a bad fucking hockey team that I didn't pick up until like 2003 when like uh, the Panthers were really good. I think it was yeah. the Panthers. And like, you know, I just started getting back into the Bruins. And like then like, because my heart was broken. I could never recover from the Neely thing. And um, it, it, it changed the course of history. But anyway, I was uh, like, I had a hookup with the Garden and there was this girl, Brianna, who, like, used to fucking hook me up. And, like, I used to go to all these games. I used to take Adam D all the time. We sat in the Esplanade up in the top. And, like, in 2010, I remember we lost in the playoffs to the Flyers. And I was like, God damn it. The Bruins shouldn't won, but you could tell – they should have won. But Bergeron, you could tell they're all fucked up, like, injuries and shit. They just didn't put it together. I was there for get that game that they got ousted from the playoffs. And I remember saying that summer, I was like, I, I think the Bruins are going to go to the Cup. I should buy season tickets. This is the year. And I like, I was like this close. And at the last minute I fucking chickened out. I even had a clear open touring schedule. I didn't have anything to do in 2011. I was just like, this is such a great time to do it. And I didn't fucking do it. And the Bruins fucking went to win the cup and I I'm a fucking asshole because of it. So there you go. That's my story. So are, are you a huge Johnny Boychuk fan? Uh, Boychuk wasn't like, I, he wasn't my dude boy chuck wasn't my dude like i was i was into like are you talking like modern day bruins that were just hard as fuck 
Yeah. L- like that 2011 team, like, I mean, Lucic was a fucking, he was a big, he was like the Gronkowski, uh, like, you know, football terms of oh, yeah. like hockey players at that time. And the Bruins used them up and traded them at the right time because you can only take so much abuse in the, in the league until you start really slowing down. And they traded Lucic at the right time, but he was a fucking monster. Him having him, Thornton, uh, uh, Horton on the same line. That line was like, you go to the games and you're like, fucking Chara, Lucic, Horton. Fuck it. They were big boys, like real big boys. Yep. Um, so I was way into that kind of shit. And I was into um, Ryder was like one of my favorite guys. He was a guy who actually glove hand saved one of the fucking pucks in the net, like in, in the playoffs and saved, like pretty much won us a series doing that and thornton uh sorry uh tom tim thomas like that those those guys were real core but you know bergeron marshan like all those guys uh i liked mcquade better than i like like uh uh homeboy who you just mentioned um boy chuck yeah i just mcquade like had more heart um on the blue line i would say but man there's some really fucking those are some really great teams like like we've been blessed with sports in boston in the tw- in the two thousands, basically, like with oh, the yeah. Patriots yeah. and the Celtics and and everything. So like, I I you know I got to the point in my life where I'm like I've seen all the playoff, I've seen all the championships so much, and I and I, you never get sick of winning. But like at one point, you like watch these guys win, and you're like, God damn it! Like I didn't win anything, you know. So like, why am I so excited? <laughs> you know, like we won, but like here, uh, this me being spoiled. Yeah, that is one hundred percent you being spoiled because I'm gonna feel like i won the championship when the islanders win the championship like that is 100 how i'm gonna feel the last time i got up and actually fucking ray bork fist pumped at a, <laughs> at a game was when brady and the patriots beat the fucking Falcons. they came back and beat the falcons oh that was such a good game too because because i swear to god they were so close and i remember saying there was like barely any time left but i'm like they could fucking win like I'm like I'm like I think they're gonna win. This is fucking crazy. And then when shit went down, I was literally losing my mind, fist pumping, like "fuck you," yelling at the TV. Like I, I'm not like like that, but I was definitely like that when the Bruins, like when Bergeron scored that goal game seven uh, against the Canucks, and like he like dove into the net, like he was just like he. I think he scored it with his helmet, not even his fucking stick. That was like another moment where I was like, "We're gonna win the fucking cup." I was like, I was out of my fucking mind. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I can't wait for that feeling. One day and that that game seven led to my favorite moment in news history. The Vancouver riots <laughs> yeah. the second time. And the, the guy getting hit right in the Charlie Browns with a flashbang yeah. and the flashbang bouncing off and then exploding like <laughs> within inches of all of that. Yeah. Oh man, that was I watched that clip on repeat <laughs> on YouTube for so long. I just knew we were going to win because if you actually like go back and watch some footage of uh, Roberto Longo, whatever his name is, right? Yep. His eyes are always like this. Never blinks. <laughs> he looks like he's always nervous. Yeah. And he was letting in some fucking shot goals in the cup. Like if I was a Canucks fan, I would have lost my mind. I would have hung myself. <laughs> some of them probably did yeah so that that bruins team god bless them oh god damn it was such a good moment like like to be honest with you seeing the red Sox win there was like people that died that like it's been 100 years since they won the world series and shit and like whatever and the patriots were always like great but like 
especially for me, always seeing like that great, the, you know, the greatest ga- goal in hockey, but well, Bobby Orr on repeat all the time growing up as a kid, seeing that magical goal. I just never thought in my lifetime I'd see the Bruins win a cup. And like, I, like I can honestly say I, I could die happy, like having seen a cup, like one in, in hoisted in Boston. It was just so fucking special. Touche. It's, it's true. It, it I, I'm kind of in the same boat. You know, I, I was too young for the Islanders dynasty. I wasn't born yet. So we, the, the furthest we've gotten is the, the last couple of years when we made it to the Eastern conference finals. And that's like it in my lifetime. And that was already special. So yeah, going even my, further is Mike be- bossy was a real motherfucker. Mike Bossy's like, uh, I, he's one of those guys. And, and like, since you're an Islanders guy, He's one of those guys growing up as a kid that I would watch like footage of and like try to like figure out what his deal was. And, uh, and, um, and, um, uh, sorry, Patty LaFontaine. Yep. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that I would like, since I'm shorter, I study, I used to study his play more than any other hockey player out there. If there was a guy who I wanted to be, which I'm definitely not, like, I'm not a skilled player like him, I just his positioning where he would always be. And all that shit was like one of those, like he was always that guy who's always there. He's always open like a Gretzky. Like, I don't know why there wasn't a body on him, but somehow he'd be a ghost until he wasn't. And uh, one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest hockey players of all time was an Islander. And that's Mike Bossy and uh, yeah, Patty LaFontaine. Hell yeah. And it's so funny. The last episode we were talking about um, when the Islanders and Bruins played each other not too long ago in the playoffs and, how they kept bringing up how one of the Bruins was uh, like from Long Island, like the, all the national commentators kept bringing that up at every single game. Right. And I right. could, I couldn't remember who it was. And then it just came to me like right now. I was like, Oh, that was Charlie McAvoy. Like that's <laughs> the dude that's from Long Island. Yeah. 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 McAvoy is like McAvoy is a real motherfucker too. Like he's a great defenseman, like real quiet. But like he just makes such an impact. He's he's Ray Bork was like that too. Not like really like a outgoing like Ray Bork always just had a knack for scoring like every fucking I don't know shift. I don't know how he fucking did it. His shot was just so precise. His forearms were like the size of my bicep. It's insane. Like seeing that guy in real life. Um, as a kid, you look at him and you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm looking at Paul Bunyan, but he wasn't the biggest guy, but he you just don't like think about Ray Bork as like being this like super impactful player where he super stands out, you know? Um, but he was, and same thing with McAvoy. Like you just don't think of him as like this top tier D, but when he's out there, it matters. Just yeah. eating those important minutes, right? That's yeah. that's kind of what you want from your defenseman really is just being able to eat 26, 27 minutes a game. Yeah. And to be honest with you in the early days, like 2009, 2008 or whatever, I hated Chara. I was like, who is this fucking loser he would be on the ice and it, it just seems like his stick was too big and the puck would always jump over a stick and like he was always making mistakes and shit but like man like he really came into his own around 2009 2010 like and on he just like i mean christ i think he almost killed a motherfucker and uh in uh, montreal when he hit him into the boards on that fucking that weird play god damn he's a fucking beast and just ran the boston marathon i saw yeah yeah yeah, he actually runs marathons and he does like I always wondered why like people don't fuck with him enough cuz I know he's a big guy, but I would think more dudes would fuck with him, but I found out that he's like this weird like 
martial arts like tough guy like i like i i know some people in town and they were just like yeah he's a, like a real deal fighter like he could fight for real and like dudes wouldn't fuck around with him because they actually knew he had some like real shit going on well he's so, also like seven three with skates on it doesn't matter though like you could like uh, to be honest with you like when i fought and i did shit and like hockey and whatever they like they make you take boxing and i'm only five seven you know but like I ha- I can fight easily against bigger guys than smaller guys. Like it's the Mike Tyson thing. You get inside on somebody big, he can't swing at you because you're just you're inside and you're throwing. Yeah. Um, but Char's Char was that tough. I think dudes wouldn't fuck with them. <laughs> can we can we so this I'm just gonna go over this this fun fact about that whole Chara Pacioretty hit. Um he literally pushed Pacioretty's head into an off-ice stanchion at the end of the bench. Yeah. Fractured his fourth vertebrae, put him in a severe concussion. They had to pull him off the ice on a stretcher. Um, Mike Murphy, who was president of operations at the time, said, eh, it's just a hockey play. The (laughs) Montreal police launched a criminal investigation against Chara. (laughs) Yeah, the second game, they were like, they're going to arrest him. Yeah. And then, and then they they were like, "Oh, he he's not going to be criminally charged." But then, he was the reason. That hit was the reason why the NHL mandated all curved glass at the end of benches. Go back and watch that hit. I'll I'll say this: <laughs> like I've seen some fucking hits in my day, like on in the NHL. I'll say that was one of the worst. Like meaning it's clean, but like it was unfortunate. Sometimes yeah. you get caught. Sometimes you get caught up and you're in the wrong spot, and it's very very unfortunate. But like, as far as like pure body to body hit, that's a real big one. And like anything from Scott Stevens, like he that guy had a knack for lining dudes up the right way and cleanly. And like Char and him probably delivered some of the biggest hits I've ever seen on the ice. Dude, his head literally hit the ball. <laughs> I know all the shits curved now, but that but back then it was like a post, and he yeah. his ass rode that bench and like, dude. I knew that guy. His body kept going. Yeah, I thought that guy was going to be fucking dead. 100%. You know, it's kind of crazy, too. Like, shit, like, you see that kind of shit on, 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 like, you know, playbacks and stuff like that. Like, I didn't know. I I think I'm sure you guys know this. But, like, you know, that that goalie uh, from the Sabres who got his, like, throat cut. Yeah. And you see the video where he, like, holds his throat and all the blood keeps coming out. Um, I never knew that happened. And it's so funny. You guys were talking about like Mike, uh, Brian Slagle and all that stuff. Yeah. And Brian Slagle, like one night, I swear to God, I watched that. I was like looking at hockey shit and like, and I saw that play too. And um, I didn't know that happened. And I literally picked up the phone the second I saw the video and I called Brian Slagle. I was like, yo, did you know this happened? And he's like, yeah. And he told me the whole story. He was like, yeah. And he knew the backstory. He's like, he, he got, they, they stitched him up. Uh, he's now the assistant coach of the fucking goalies and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he put me, he put my mind at ease because I wasn't going to be able to sleep that night. I had to call Slagle <laughs> to ask him if that guy died. <laughs> Dude, that was, an, that was an insane um, just accident that happened. And actually Cam, it happened to Cam Neely, not the the face, but he, he got the, like the top of his pinky cut off through his glove right. in the nineties too. Right. The nineties was a different type of hockey. Yeah dudes were really fucking crazy probert uh, yeah like there was some real there's some really brain dead fighters coming out of the 90s hockey like jay miller versus like nylon probert versus nylon 
Probert versus like I, it's just Probert versus anybody. That guy was a fucking machine. He was the Ivan Drago of hockey. We we traded for I remember, I'll never forget it. Ninety two. I went to a, a, a playoff game, Bruins Canadians, and we had uh, Al McGinnis. No, no, not Al McGinnis. Uh, I Ally Afraidy, the guy with the mullet but a bald hair, bald head. And he used to smoke butts and drive Harleys to the fucking game. And they traded him right after that season because no one could deal with him fucking ripping butts in between periods. But he had a, his slap shot. I'll say this as a kid, it being in the stands, his slap shot was so hard that like when it hit like the goalie's pads, you could hear it all over the rink. It was insane. Yeah. Look up, look up Ally Afraidy's slappers. <laughs> we, we talk about it on the podcast, how like, middle mid 90s was probably like the heyday of hockey I, yeah. I i think like that's when it was just like in pop culture and some of the names that were like dominating the league were you know you had your gretzky's your lemuse your yagers but then you also had characters like that still in the league dude it was Pavel Bure. Yeah, fucking uh, all the all the uh, uh, Red tribe. Wings. Yeah, yeah, Fedorov, uh, Hasek, and uh, Andy Moog might have still been playing. F- uh, Fuhrer, uh, Berger, uh What was the uh, Rangers goalie at the time? Richter. Richter. Yeah, Richter. it was just like a locked up fucking '90s hockey was like, god damn, and fights like everywhere. That, yeah, it was a different game and. I don't I, I don't know if hockey's ever gonna get back to that. I, I just Timu Salami. Timu Salani. Oh yeah. God. Paul Korea. Paul Korea, coffee. Like you got some real fucking Iron Men playing fucking the man's game back then. Like I, I I the thing that I don't like about hockey now is that there's too much like system. Like like kids like kids grow up and they play a system and they're good at the system and then they get into the NHL and they continue to play the system where like Gretzky almost said I think he, I heard an interview where Gretzky said it and he's like yeah but like we used to be more improv like yeah. on the ice and that's one thing that is like kind of missing from hockey we do need like kind of like a Happy Gilmore to come back and like do some shit and and I think Ovechkin's kind of that way where he just kind of like does his thing and he fucking does what he can. Yeah. And I like that about him. I, that's why I like like both Kachucks. I like those guys because you can tell they're just like bred for hockey. Uh, it's not necessarily about the system. It's about how they play the game. There's a lot of passion in there. So there are some guys, but you could totally tell which guys are those guys. But everybody else is just like a fucking like, you know, like when you play table hockey. Yeah, it's like, cool. This is the line he goes in and this is where he's going to be. And it's, and then he's going to dump the puck and, and dump and yeah. chase, dump and chase, dump and chase. But Lemieux used to fucking dress dudes down like big time, like mm. get into the net, like make some moves, like things would happen, you know, whatever miraculous shit. But amen. Well, Ken, we got a overtime game. It's three, three head into overtime Bruins. Marshan's gonna score. Looking to lock it, lock it down. Now, truthfully, though, you guys are gonna be possibly the first ones to punch your ticket. Not necessarily a great thing. Not necessarily. Yes, you can rest some people, but if you have to go against a team that maybe grinds it out to six or seven games, sometimes they they can continue to ride that, and you guys are sitting kind of complacent waiting for that team to you know figure out who you're playing yeah not 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 in the position that the bruins are in if you think philosophically yes 
uh, in actuality, they they went they went full throttle to the end of the season. So uh, Bergeron's a little dinged up, like tired. You know, they sat him for the first like three games or whatever. I think the Bruins could really use a quick out in the first round, so they can just like reflect, come back, and like let let the let the fucking Leafs and the Tampa beat the shit out of themselves. They're mm-hmm. not gonna. Neither one of those teams is gonna be ro- hockey ready for the second round, where the Bruins will be because they're just like mentally there. I think the Bruins are like first round quick, you know, would be a good thing. Okay, so yeah, uh, hopefully it happens in overtime tonight, and then you guys can rest up and hopefully take care of the the Leafs, as everyone around the world would like <laughs> to see happen, except Toronto. Well, well, except Tampa too. I would. I'd rather have Tampa take out the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, as as long as someone takes them out. Yeah, I'm gonna say Bruins two overtimes. Marchand scores to win it tonight. Okay, you're gonna Let's hear go for it, it first on Bar Down Breakdown. I love that. Hear it first on Tuesday after the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and hey, I'll, I'll I'll clip it up and be like, "Yep, Ken Ken said it." <laughs> and I'll also and I'll also say this: Fuck Mitzi and the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Can we we got to clip that one. Also clipping that up and sending that to Mitch. <laughs> yeah, make that make that the um the the Instagram like. Oh, okay, we had kids see on the podcast. There's just fuck Mitz and the Rangers. <laughs> God, I love Mitzi so bad. He's he's like he's seriously my favorite person in the world. Amen. Yeah, when he yeah, brought up the opportunity of of you entertaining the idea of coming on, I was just like doe eyed. I was like, let's go. Yeah, yeah. I actually hit him up because I, I, I listened and I was just like, Mitz, like these dudes are doing the right thing. Like, let them know I'm in. If if they want to fucking party, I'm in. Like, I'll talk about hockey all fucking night. I'll show. I'll fucking turn the camera around and show you my slapper, dude. I don't give a shit. Like, that's my whole game. I skate fast, rip slappers. That's my whole fucking shit. My team gets on me because I don't do anything else, but I score a ton. So fuck them. <laughs> I love that. I love dudes that just grind it out in men's league hockey and talk shit in men's league hockey it's the best thing ever yeah so it's so funny one of the dudes that's a huge rangers fan too is like uh i posted my team like we were holding the cup and the stats too because i thought it'd be cool like for everybody to see like you know my friends and whatever uh their achievements and someone's like oh you have the most points on the team i bet you didn't fucking like play defense i'm like are you shitting me (laughs) i'm like i'm the center i fucking i'm all about back checking and for checking motherfucker. Like I'm not like, if I don't back check, the team doesn't fucking win. You know, I, I played D in high school. So like, and I played forward in college and I'm like, I know the importance. So the reason why we have a cup in our men's league is because I'm, I'm there to score a goal, but I'm also there to fucking cover the fucking forwards. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm not gonna lie. I did not back check or four check when I played men's league hockey. I was oh. not that guy. If you're in a competitive league, ba- there's nothing more gratifying than like, you know, like your other dudes not back checking and you leading by example and back checking wicked hard. And like then they're all like, "All right, Susie, fucking good job." And I'm like, "Yeah, do it yourself." If like if you do it, it becomes like other dudes feel like they have to do it too. It's you're that's how true, you win. True captain, true captain yeah. of your men's league team. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the captain. I don't buy the beer. <laughs> <laughs> you drink just, it. Yeah, I'm always just trying to. I'm just trying to get my team to go to fucking centerfolds or pudgies after the game. But all the dudes are fucking married and their wives won't let them go. It's bullshit. 
I'm like, let's go see some fat girls dance naked. And they're like, no. I'm like, we just won the cup. Like, no. I'm like, fuck off. I'm off this team. I'm I'm, I'm trading myself. Trading myself. <laughs> Listen, you guys are fucking great, man. We um, I you know, again, if you live in Long Island or whatever, uh, DM me your numbers and shit. I would love to like you know come come out to uh, Asley Dying Show. Let's talk more hockey and have a couple yeah. fucking drinks and hang out for sure. You guys are I'll- great. I'm down in Orlando, so if you guys if you guys have a, a stop down anywhere in Florida, I would fucking love that. Yeah, yeah. Just anytime you're you know where I'm gonna be, DM me and we're hanging out. Fucking it. Amen. Well, Ken, dude, let's go bees. Let's finish this off, and let's fucking wipe out the Maple Leafs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen. Have a good night. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, just this is this was great. Hell yeah, brother. Anytime, man. Peace. Thanks, guys. Later.